Well, you know, it's that time of the month. Uh, This is the last Wednesday of the month, and you know what happens at 9 o'clock on Wednesday. We have, normally we would say we have the boys in the house. You know, we have Peter Wood and Scott Dane, but we can't call them that because they are now uh, royalty. They are people that are invited to places like the Eisenhower Executive Office Suite in Washington, D.C. So we have to be more elegant when introducing them. So we have on the show with us right now, uh, uh, let's see, how did they used to address the mail to me when I was on the school board? They would, The Honorable. The Honorable. Uh, Peter, yes, the Honorable Peter Wood and the Honorable Scott Dane. Well, I don't know if we're too honorable or what, but we're. I'm still, no matter how you slice it, I'm still just a lumberjack from northeastern Minnesota. That's all I ever <laughs> claim to be. <laughs> Hi, folks. How is how's everybody doing out there? Peter Wood again and Scott Dane. It's great to be back. Winter is uh, coming to a halt. Uh, finally starting yes. to, uh, I hope, to start living what you would call a normal life here now. Uh, working probably eight, nine hours, 10 hours a day instead of those 15-hour days and weekends and everything. And so on the way in, it was just drizzling at home. And then when I got around the Pike Lake, it started raining harder and harder and harder. I thought, man, I might get wet just walking in. (laughs) It's raining so hard. But (laughs) fortunately, it came down the hill. It stopped raining. It's it's nice out. It's, It's starting to live, like I said, you start to live a little bit of a normal life, you could say. Yeah. But, you know, Peter, maybe you explain to people a little bit to get going, because some people might think, well, man, in the summer, you guys probably work longer hours because you got more daylight. Uh, it's dry in the woods. But if if you don't know logging, you don't understand that the uh, in the winter, when the peat bogs freeze up and you can drive trucks across them, that's the busiest time of the year because that's when you're in there harvesting all the time. Yes, yeah, so winter time is our go 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 time. Like those that have been listening for a while, I've said it before that you want to go as fast as you can in the winter time because it's their best production time. Uh, coming up now, there are some loggers that'll still be able to go a little bit. Like in Wisconsin and Minnesota, you, there's like a certain sandbar I call it that exists that. The water goes right through. They can cut right through springtime. And then if you get up north far enough where there's nothing but rock piles, so to speak, there's guys that go there. Like where I live, it gets so mushy and so bad that you really don't cut anymore coming up. Even if you, like we have duels and that kind of stuff, we still stop because it gets so wet and so muddy that you're just going to do more damage than good. So that's why a lot of us, there's a lot of loggers in this state that when it's to and Wisconsin, you have to really, really push the wood out as much as you can, and that's why you work those extremely long days. You're going across real bad swamps that miles across. Some are only a quarter mile, some are miles that you're crossing, and when you come out of there with 100,000-pound truckloads, six axles, you can literally watch as that truck comes across the swamp. If you stand still, you can watch. If there's trees alongside, you can watch those treetops lean in a little bit. You'll watch the tops come in as a truck goes by, and as it leaves, the tight the, t- the trees straighten out. You're not, they're not moving feet. But if you watch real closely, you can watch those trees actually bend in because of the weight of that truck pushing the ground down. And it, it's it's kind of like a wave. And maybe I've said that before one time that uh, we are doing a swamp and the buncher was going back and forth a little bit because how a buncher cuts a swamp, it's going back and forth a little bit and he's cutting and swatting as he goes and throwing the wood down. Well, he went came towards me and then hit the other way going uh, forward again. And when he did that, it was like a boat in water. That machine created the ground to actually have a swale 
of ground moving at me like a wave of water. And you could see that ripple just like a boat, and it just rippled right towards me. It was just like almost weird, bizarre all at the same time, but I only see that once in a while. And that whole swamp, stumps and everything were swaying just a little bit. It isn't like you're caught a two-foot wake. It's very little, and you have to be on the ground with your feet on the ground. You could just watch that wake just go right at you, and you could feel the ground lift you just it's weird but you can feel it just lift you just a hair and go back down and settle it's weird but it does happen and so it tells you yeah there's a bit of moisture there oh yeah and if you've never walked on a peat swamp or a peat bog um you know you don't know you (laughs) you don't know how much it is like walking on an ocean almost you feel like you can walk on the water although there's that that two three foot bank of peat that's on top of the water so it's yep. really wet underneath though yep. yeah there is hard ground underneath there is but it could be anywhere from 10 to 30 feet down so yeah. and some of those swamps get very deep so you are running on a mat but it uh it can get uh, dangerous in a hurry so. so guys uh both you and scott now tell us a little bit about your trip tomorrow what uh yeah. what brought this about who started the the idea of having a discussion, or did this come, uh, was this based upon that meeting back with Trump back during uh, last summer, or how did this come about? Um, Brad, this is Scott. Um, Hi, Scott. Yeah, actually, the, the meeting, the, the trip will be next week. We'll be heading out to Washington, D.C. with uh, four timber industry representatives from Minnesota, the ACLT president, Mike Nielsen, out of Ely, the vice president, Mike Hill, out of Bovee, Peter Wood, myself. And this came about as a result of uh, actually Congressman Stauber and his connections okay. out there. He asked us uh, what we, the timber industry in Minnesota needed. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think there's much hope in this uh, divided government um, legislatively doing a whole bunch for us. So we indicated that we would like to have a meeting uh, with the White House, with the administration, and hopefully they can take action, whether it be executive or policy directives or whatever, um, right. to address some of these things. So, uh, yeah, Congressman Stauber arranged this meeting with the assistant to the president, Dr. Peter Navarro, who handles trade and uh, policy, um, trade and manufacturing policy, and has the, uh, the, the governor, uh, excuse me, the president's here. <clears throat> Last year we were out there, and uh, Congressman uh, Nolan had arranged a meeting for us. Uh, in the new executive office building with representatives of the Department of Interior and others. And, you know, in classic Peter Wood, we're sitting in the meeting, and Peter kind of boils down the conversation. He says to the guy, he says, how far removed are you from the president? I want to know how close I am. And the guy thought for a minute, (laughs) and he said, I'm probably three or four levels removed from the president. And you can just see Peter wasn't too impressed at that point. He's like, oh, this isn't good enough for me. You know? I just kind of got this, oh, okay, we're too far removed here. Uh, you almost yeah. feel like, Tom, what does it take to get to the main guy? Because you're just a couple, two steps down to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> but Dr. Peter Navarro has the president's direct ear. And the meeting will be in the executive, uh, excuse me, the Eisenhower Executive Office Building, part of the White House complex, the same building that the vice president's office is in. Ah, well, you never know. The vice president might just walk in on that. You you just don't know. We've reached out. We've invited him. We'd love to have that happen. Um, but it's a great opportunity for us to talk about a couple of things. Um, one is trade policy, obviously, and specifically. 
um, yes. the Canadian finished forest products and the impact on Minnesota's logging industry, as well as the country for that matter. Uh, increased federal forest management um, as a tool to reduce extreme wildfires. And then we are going to touch upon uh, what's been occurring lately with the eco-terrorism and the threats to the uh, national energy strategy uh, in Minnesota. You know, speaking in that regard, guys, uh, the last time we had you on, we talked about this, uh, the group of eco-terrorists uh, that have been uh, confronting the Line 3 uh, XL pipeline replacement and how they had buttressed now and kind of moved on to decide, well, you know, if we can't get into a, a Line 3 pipeline facility while well, we got some loggers over here, let's cause them some grief. And they actually uh, damaged some property. Is that has there been any more to do with that, or has there been any addition, uh, uh, additional terrorism that has taken on after that experience? You no. Know, the good news is um, they they have uh, backed off, uh, uh, but uh, at the same time, nobody has been charged in St. Louis County uh, for the okay. uh, criminal damage that occurred to the logging equipment. Uh, unfortunately, um, the, the, the sheriff's office um, and the Fond du Lac police are actually leading the uh, investigation. So we've been kind of frustrated sitting back and waiting uh, for something to come out. It's been over a month and a half now. But uh, St. Louis County Board did take action uh, a few couple of weeks ago, and they passed a resolution lowering the cost of that timber permit, which is about a $100,000 permit. Um, up to $35,000 to offset some of the losses that the uh, timber industry or the timber company uh, experienced um, that aren't covered by insurance and that type of thing. So that was a really, uh, that was a terrific move on, on the part of that's St. Louis County. Great, yeah, that's a great move for the county commissioners to see that, uh, you know, if, if, if no action is taken, you guys are out of that money, uh, out of pocket, and that hits right on your bottom line. So, Hats off to St. Louis County Commissioners for, for at least observing that and seeing that there were some things they could do to at least lower the cost of those uh, of those bids. Yeah, that's fantastic that they're willing to do that. It really helps out the Chef family quite a bit because when you get hits like that, unexpected expenses, that it can hurt greatly. And it really, I think it really helped them out. And we just want to say thank you to the St. Louis County Board for stepping up and willing to do that for them. As a matter yeah, of fact, Brad, great. we do have Commissioner Keith Nelson joining the conversation. Well, wonderful, wonderful. Keith, we were just talking about the fact that uh, even though there haven't been any arrests made yet and, uh, and, and nobody has been charged with anything yet, uh, you, the county commissioners in St. Louis County, kind of understood that uh, this is a small family logging operation. They're going to be out money out of their pockets, and you did what you could to uh, help them out. That's uh, Kind of reduce the cost of the lease. That's a that's a big step forward, I think. Well, I think it's it's important to recognize that our logging industry um, is is in some very difficult times currently, and and also you know these types of, of actions from these terrorist organizations um, are something that that we as a county board um, absolutely have to stand up and and be counted on and 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 say that we're not going to stand for uh, these types of activities uh, disrupting our forestry practices um, and causing harm to our to our family loggers that uh, that quite frankly uh, work so hard uh, to uh, 
to keep our our uh, forests in, in good health. So right. Um, we and the one thing I do want to assure everyone is that both Mark Rubin, Attorney Rubin, and Sheriff Flipman are still actively working on all of these cases and trying to make certain that we will. At the end of the day, when we bring these folks to justice, they will understand that they've been brought to justice. In fact, uh, well, I think I'm, that's uh, I th- that's good to know because I think they have to have an example set. Uh, otherwise, it's going to just grow exponentially from there, and it's going to end up to be a bad situation. After ahead, I get Scott. done with the radio uh, show here, I am going to meet with uh, um, St. Louis County Attorney Mark Rubin. Um, to discuss the issues and kind of get an update on where things are at. Uh, we're very confident that he will follow through on this, and uh, in the end, um, people will be held accountable. Good. Excellent. Fred, thank well, you Keith, for giving uh, us this opportunity. It's, it's, oh. it's important that our community knows um, the truth about what's going on out there, and, and quite frankly, uh, your your program is one of those places where we're able to uh, to get that information out to the community at large. Well, thank you, Commissioner Nelson, and thank you for taking the action that you are capable of taking to make sure that uh, some relief does get uh, get given to these, uh, you know, because we all have to, I think, suck it up and remember that these are small family operations, these little logging operations. They're trying to make the bottom line, trying to pay their bills, trying to pay taxes, trying to do everything they can to keep their family in the Northland. And when they get a hit like this, when these goofball environmentalists come in and decide to destroy their equipment, that's a big hit in their bottom line. So I think you did everything you're capable of uh, of doing as a commissioner, and we really appreciate that. Well, thank you, sir. You, have a, you guys have a great day. You're a great American, Brad. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll be right back after this first break with more Let the sawdust fly. You're sounding off with Brad Bennett. Coming up at 11, keep yourself one step ahead with Rush Limbaugh. 710 WDSM. WDSM on AM 710. And now on FM 98.1. Giant Redwood. Larch. The fur. The mighty Scots pine. The smell of fresh cut timber. The crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side. We'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the lavatory. On Wednesday I go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. <laughs> yeah, you gotta lose the lavatory. That's important. Yes. As we learned oh, earlier yeah. in the program. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to go there again. Just keep moving along. <laughs> Say, I don't know where to go Peter. from that one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Kenny's anyway. been daydreaming about laboratories in the shower in the morning, so we don't want to go down that road again. No, no, Peter, please. I was listening uh, to the radio show on the way in, and it was tough, guys. I didn't know how we we're going to follow up on that one. Um, but. I know. Anyway, say the, uh, go ahead, Brad. Uh, give us a well. Give us a little bit of an idea of what other things come into play in the spring. I I know you've got road uh, weights changing and things like that too. How does that affect yeah, your the weight bands? Went on. I think it was a little over a week ago on a Monday morning, Tuesday night. No, 
Monday night, Tuesday morning, the the way, the way okay. it's changed, it's always at like twelve oh one a.m. Tuesday, whatever day they pick. Okay. The state of Minnesota, they do tests and they check it, and we're on their uh, email list, so we know that within I think it's three or four days they will let you know in advance that the weight bands will be in effect twelve oh one a.m. Tuesday. So you have till that day, and that's when it actually was was it was a week ago and a day today. That from winter weights to actually the weight bands went on the county road. And I don't know about Douglas County and Sawyer or something like that, but in St. Louis County they went on the uh, county roads at 12:01 a.m. on Tuesday, a week, eight days ago. And uh, heavy weights for hauling on the highways was in effect the same time. They seem like sure. over the last few years, probably 10 years, it seems like they've been running at the same time where county roads would get posted at the same time that the weight bands come on for heavy weights. And that'll be so in effect Pete, now for till uh, probably May, June, somewhere in there. Yeah. So to make it simple for our listeners, what that means, I think, Pete, is uh, for the average person listening in this morning, is that a logger who could drive on a road one day all of a sudden finds out you can't be on that road the next day with a certain limit on your weight of your truck, weight, right? Right, the legal, yeah. legal weight limit. So yeah. it's to protect the roads because if you come across like a county dirt road and you're hauling real heavy, you can actually squish that road and it can do very sure. heavy damage or blacktop. You can break it up. So that's why, like right now, coming off of a five-ton road, if there's a semi coming out of there with a full load, you are way overweight and you can damage the road. Okay. So that's why it's to protect the roads. It's to protect the highways so they don't break up. So And then when they, the frost leaves... And it gets starts to dry out. The county roads will firm up again where we can start hauling normal loads again. Well, it'd be summer loads. There's winter weight and there's summer weight. Winter winter weight is heavier than summer weight by probably 10%. 10%. So around 10,000 pounds roughly, give you an idea. We can haul more okay. in the wintertime because of frozen ground. But you know, well, guys, this segment this segment of the show, of our show, especially the Wednesday segment with the Let the Sawdust Fly, is becoming so popular that we even now have advertisers that specifically say, hey, we want to advertise in that segment because there's a tie-in to our business. For example, Matt Boo from Duluth Stove and Fireplace is on the line with us right now because there's a natural tie-in there. A lot of the stoves that you sell, Matt, uh, use use firewood, uh, use a, a heat source from firewood or from pellets that are created for those. And the logging industry helps that. So uh, glad to have you on this morning, Matt. Yeah, thank you. And and you're right. And it's kind of interesting on our end, and I, I'm not totally dialed into it, but when you start looking at cordwood for burning, and maybe Pete knows more about the I'm sure knows more about this than I do, uh, it's interesting to see what species are available, you know, uh, through the heating season. Sometimes it's maple and, uh, and the birch, and I guess some of the paper mills are competing for the, some of the same wood. And yeah. tamarack seems to show up. And- There's still a lot of firewood that can be bought, and if, from what I have done, uh, birch, maple work real good, oak real good. But a lot of people don't realize, but tamarack is actually a tremendous firewood. It really is. Only thing is, is that right? oh yeah, tamarack. That's good wood. It's tremendous. I don't want to advertise for myself, so I'm not going to say anything on that part. But, <laughs> but actually, tamarack is a beautiful wood. If you have outside boilers, but if you burn inside a house, it can get so hot it can actually burn your grates out. That tamarack is that Ooh. strong, it can burn your grates out. So what a lot of people do, if you want to do ta- plus tamarack, will spit at you. 
if you got an open like a uh, fireplace and it's sitting yeah. on there, tss, you know, pop, pop, it actually can throw coals right out. And so oh. Tamarack can get that. Uh, I don't know if it's acidic or what, but it's a tremendous actual firewood. And you have to mix a little bit of other firewood with it to calm it down. But straight firewood, outside boiler with a water jacket, you can burn it straight and it burns tremendous and there's hardly any ash. It's an excellent wood for that. Yeah, it's good for yeah, and you're right about the mix. That's kind of what our customers will do too, is mix that in with a uh, maple or a, or an oak for the longer burn times. Matt, uh, I wanted to ask you: Are you finding that in the springtime like this now, that uh, especially when the temperatures start getting up to forty and fifty during the day, your house inside temperature heats up a little bit with the sun? Are you finding more and more people trying to rely on their uh, fireplaces or their uh, their uh, other burners rather than on their forced air fireplaces or their forced air furnaces? Yeah, the forced air for sure. That's got a kind of a quicker return, uh, much like the fireplaces. But the the slab heat or the in floor heat is where we're seeing people use the fireplaces a lot this time of year. Uh, sure, so they can take that morning chill off and not fire up that whole house to to get it you know, warmed up to comfort levels. So they'll use their fireplace to get it into that 70 range, and uh, they can turn it off and go to work and come back and use it in the evenings as well. Well, we always like to tell our listeners that uh, Duluth Stove and Fireplace can be located at 27th Avenue West in Michigan, right on the corner there next to the Duluth Grill. You've got uh, two complete corridors of of, uh, examples of units burning everything from a pellet corn pellet, wood pellet, wood stoves, gas inserts, gas stoves, and, of course, saunas. Uh, Everybody loves a sauna up in northern Minnesota. Uh, You've got those available as well. But if you haven't been out there to Duluth Stove and Fireplace lately, make sure you get out there now, especially this spring. Get yourself on the the list and get uh, get your unit ready to install so that by next fall, you'll be in the driver's seat when it comes to heat in the Northland, right? Right, Matt? Yeah, this is a good time, and we've got the home show coming up, so we got home show specials on as well. So we hope to see people come down there next week, and I'll be calling you probably from there uh, set up. So. All right, very good. Well, thank you, Matt. Well, what hours do you have people there at uh, Duluth Stove and Fireplace? What, what uh, uh, hours are people? Yeah, Monday through Friday, 8 to 6, Saturday, 9 to 4, and we can be reached at 727-0002. All righty. Very good. Thank you, Matt. Boo, Delos, Stove, and Fireplace. Uh, Kenny, how are we doing? Do you want to whip this Fox News break in, and then we'll come back with uh, with our guys, Pete? and uh, Brad, let's, let's go to Fox this. News. We'll, uh, we'll take the short break. And when we come back, we have a, a guest on the phone, uh, John Thompson, retired St. Louis County Forester, wants to chime in with the boys as well. Wonderful. Oh, JT, right. uh, JT. Yeah, okay. Old, so. We ought to have fun with this one. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll be right back. You're sounding off with Brad Bennett. Call him now at 722-7500 or 800-388-2428. 710 WDSM, AM 710 and FM 98.1.
WDSM time, 937. Brad, the markets are up. The Dow is up 13 points. And, of course, we can't have let the sawdust fly without Woody Herman's Woodchopper's Ball. Woodchopper's Ball. we got to have that. That's uh, almost as important to have as, uh, you know, the other song that we do every every time. Makes you want to dance uh, all the time. It does. does always make you want to dance. So, Peter, uh, who do you have on as a guest here on the phone for yourself? I haven't talked to JT for quite a while. I know he was calling in, so it's a surprise to me, too, but we'll have fun with what he's got. (laughs) All right. (laughs) How you been, JT? Uh, Hey, how you doing, guys? I don't have a good story for you today, but uh, uh, Peter and Scott, you guys are doing a real service for resource management by getting the word out and taking the time to do this. And Brad and Kenny, we appreciate you having it on every every time and well uh, i'll tell you what uh we we, it started as kind of a whim i had met peter years ago when they had me speak at their convention and uh i just thought well we'll see how it goes you know it wouldn't hurt i mean it's a great way and i'll tell you what mm -hmm. it's ended up to be one of the most uh, interesting segments that we have on the whole month we get probably more response out of this than we do just about anything else we do so uh, we're we're pleased and privileged to have the two of them come on on a regular basis. Well, we so. want to thank Brad and Kenny and the listening audience and like people like JT out there willing to take the time and listen. And it's it's I think it's just fantastic just to be able to have the opportunity to do this and just present information to listeners out there so they can make decisions in their own mind. Because if I'm telling you the truth, like I've said in the past, if I'm telling you the truth, it's still going to be true tomorrow, next day, and a hundred years from now, and you will make That's your right. decision from that. Well, I wanted to uh, I wanted to give you a good example of the value of forest management, and and a, a case where they didn't do it and and it's really backfired. Um, a lot of people are aware of the um, uh, western pine beetle that's devastated the forests all over the West. It's hit Colorado especially hard, and back about 25 years ago, Colorado decided they wanted a tourism economy. And they didn't like looking at at logging jobs. And they took a lot of steps to really discourage logging activity. And they literally ran almost all forest industry out of Colorado. And then the beetle came along, and they had no way to handle it. And if they had been able to get on some of these outbreaks early in the stages, we wouldn't have deforested mountainsides. Uh, JT, uh, this is Scott. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up. I was uh, Minnesota was contacted about 12 years ago when that uh, issue peaked as far as the uh, fire hazard and the threat to the uh, timber yeah. in Colorado. And so the uh, officials out there had a meeting and said, we need to get all this timber cut off the side of these mountains, this gray dead timber, before it burns and uh, threatens our towns. And they said, uh, where's the loggers at? And one of the guys <laughs> in the meeting said, uh, oh, we ran them off 20 years ago. That's right. And uh, and a positive example here in St. Louis County, we've got a little critter called a spruce budworm, and it kills especially balsam fir. Back in the 80s, we didn't have any market for balsam fir. I know up north of Duluth, we lost about 5 million cords, and I was trying to sell it then for 50 cents a cord or 20 cents a cord, and I couldn't sell any, and, and it just was was lost. Um Subsequent to that, when Lake Superior Paper came in, we had a balsam fir market, and we've converted several of those um, spruce budworm outbreaks into paper. 
and literally stopped them in their tracks. Now, we don't eliminate the critter totally, but we've controlled it, and we did it with forest management, and, of course, that takes guys like Peter out there doing a good job for us. There was a lot of that going on. I remember we were smashing down dead balsam one after another. It was unbelievable. You'd be uh, you, smashing you it. You tried cruising in it. You had a machine. Uh, you <laughs> Hey, John, I could have and, a lot of fun with this one now, JT. John and Pete, I want to ask the question real quick because I know gypsy moth is a, is an issue, and there was discussion about this severe cold. Does this knock it down to a point where it destroys, eliminates? Or does a severe cold winter I, that we had I, do I think, anything? I think JT doesn't at the Emerald Ash Bore. I think it slows it down or stops it. It'll only go so far into cold weather, I yeah, think, it'll isn't it? it down. Um, we're not going to eliminate it, and nothing ever kills all of them but it it will slow it down and and if we right. were to have several of those cold winters it would it would do a lot for us it's like percentages on everything we try and percentage to make it better for people as a whole if you yeah, look at sure. it that way yeah you know, like out in colorado to me colorado is a time been bomb. A great big problem up here and we do have some uh, some controls uh they use pheromone traps um they spray these little plastic chips out that confuse the males and they try to mate with the chip instead of a female <laughs> i haven't actually jt this is a family organization here you gotta kind of have to watch it here no, we're not going any further on that yeah <laughs> but, but that air is not good we confuse the little devils oh so, well, that's a good thing that's a that's a great thing yeah so yeah. so uh, all in all the winter can slow them down it won't kill them off it won't destroy uh yeah. destroy them completely but it does slow them down to a controllable amount well yeah see the 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 insects that were on the tree bark where it was covered with snow are protected so you, oh, you okay. always have that little population that's safe uh the ones that were on the upper parts of the tree may well freeze and die so you could lose I don't know a percentage, but a high percentage of the bugs, and it's going to keep them down for a few years. So if we can if we can hit some more of these cold cycles, and we can hope we do, um, then although I I wasn't always happy about it, but hey, <laughs> yeah, we like the uh, cold though. But yes, it helped us. The truth about invasive well, species, whether it be uh, insects or, or aquatic uh, invasive species or plant invasive species. And, and JT, you can uh, back me up on this. Is there has never been uh, a, an eradication effort that has succeeded. The only thing you can do is slow it down. Yeah, you can you can control it, and and these things do tend to have a self damping feature too. They're they're not going to eliminate their total food source because that's that's sure. how they go to extinction. Uh, so things do settle down on on some of these things. Um, I watched that happen with rusty crayfish over in the pike chain at Iron River. And and they came on strong. The smallmouth bass decided they really liked them. They ate them all. And, and we've hit a balance, and things are, are coming back looking pretty good over there now. So it had a natural attrition to it. still in the lakes, but, it, but it's under control. It's a natural attrition that takes place. Yeah. So well, JT, thank you. Thank you for calling in this morning and uh, asking some great questions, which gets us, uh, which gets us these two guys uh, to show a little bit of their expertise in this area. 
And you, yeah. the one thing I had, the one thing I had, maybe all three of you could answer this is, you know, you were talking about what happened in Colorado and how the tourism movement in Colorado pretty much drove out the loggers completely. How is how is our logging industry in Minnesota and specifically in northern Minnesota? Have we lost a lot of loggers or are we in pretty good straits still? You know, I would say that uh, based on the last 10 years, when the um, when the OSB plants began closing because of the housing market, we've probably lost 30 sure. percent of our logging infrastructure in Minnesota. There right? may be some companies around that, that did not go out of business. But a lot of them have uh, reduced their their production capacity um, to adjust to, to the remaining markets. So it has had okay. a, a big impact on on the an amount of yeah. uh, logging capacity. It yeah. could it could it could generate back. Don't get wrong on this. Now it people can expand. New ones can come in. It's that American entrepreneurship. If they can, if somebody can make sure. a living and make a dollar at it, people will go after it, no matter what. It can come back. It's just that. You don't want to kill infrastructure. Like Colorado, I've been out there more than one time, got relatives out there. And to me, Colorado is a very, very dangerous time bomb that could make California look like nothing for what could oh, happen yeah. in Colorado. It's just absolutely nauseating. There's probably, I'm going to yeah, say, a half a dozen loggers in Colorado right now, probably somewhere wow. on there. It's really, really low. And there used to be probably hundreds. So in other words, Pete, if they went into a real dry cycle you would see some very serious uh, issues, especially if you got some storms with lightning that would fire up uh, f- wildfires. You could be, you could have some serious issues yeah. in Colorado. Where many people, they, they don't realize how fast that can go. Even if you're on the freeway with a car that's fairly fast, you may not escape it. it could, I'm not doomsday, but it could happen. I will not go out there in the summertime if it's dry and f- concern about that. Yeah. In the mountains, that is. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Another another huge factor where there's a lot of federal land is the amount of forest roads that were closed. A lot of the difficulty oh, fighting yeah. fires is because we can't get to them because the Forest Service was, was forced to decommission a lot of miles of forest road, uh, especially during the uh, Clinton years. That was a big yeah. thing is let's let's make it wilderness again. And they took out all these forest roads, and it suddenly, you, if a lightning fire starts out there, you can't get at it. And by the time you can reach it, it's gotten big. Uh, this was a, a factor that I, they didn't think that one through real well. But um, no. it was it was again the big push. Let's let's go to the you know Mother Nature will take care of it all. Well, Mother Nature is a cranky old girl. Oh, oh, yeah. you, can, you can do forest <laughs> management or you can do fire management. It's your choice. Yeah. Yep. Well, that that's well, I'm on, uh, maybe I'm on a my good... way down to Hayward, boys, to pick up some burrow. All right. Well, so... thank you, guys. Thank you all. Uh, guys, it, it's that time of the morning. we got to cut you loose again. But I, I want to be able to say to all of you, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on this morning. It's always a pleasure having you on because, you know what, we learn things uh, – uh, when you guys come on in the morning, I know I talked about, uh, and I was disappointed to hear that we've lost about thirty percent of our wood industry in northern Minnesota. It is wood harvesting. It is sad, yeah, and that's, that's sad. why, I, like this uh, trip to DC that we're going to take, you, know, you your this is going to be my third time going there and talking, and your window is very short and very small. It isn't like you can have two three hours. You can get anywhere from a half hour to an hour with these individuals. And you better be ready to present what you can, and it has to change on a dime. 
And the biggest thing is you want to present your end of it so they can understand this is actual boots on the ground that can help the industry. It isn't just we're on flyover country. It could help the nation as a whole. And those are the things that we hope to present to represent the timber industry. But really, we want to represent land use industries, and that's everybody. We all use the land, and we want to talk about the truth of what really does work and not this pie-in-the-sky attitude. I had an email during our segment, guys, from uh, Corey up on the range that wanted me to ask Pete about the picture of Boise Cascade and I Falls. Do you know what he's talking about? Yeah, (laughs) Corey sent me a picture of a helicopter nurse. He was uh, had a patient oh, he had okay. to pick up in uh, I Falls, and he sent me some pictures of Boise up there, and I asked him if I could share it, and he said, yeah, so I haven't given them to Scott yet, but it's just impressive what how big a yard they have up there and all the wood that's piled up there. It's a beautiful picture of the city and the wood piles up at Boise, so I hope to get that out. But, Corey, if you're listening, thank you very much for the picture. It was excellent. Oh, he he, he listens in the morning. Well, guys, again, uh, thank you so much this morning. We'll be looking forward to talking to you next month about your trip to Washington, D.C., and uh, maybe who you met and what uh, might be beneficial to uh, loggers up here in northern Minnesota. But, uh, again, thank you so much for the segment, Let the Sawdust Fly. comes to you every last Wednesday of the month here on Sound Off. Uh, so we'll be coming to you yep. again next month on the 24th of April. That happens to be the last Wednesday of April. Maybe we can and, even have a picture uh, of Melania and myself. How about that? Oh, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> uh, we all dream, but hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. My wife's going to have uh, words with get... me when I get home. Watch. All right, thanks, guys. we got to go to our Wisconsin news break, Kenny. Let's do that, and then we'll come back and wrap up our number two.